y'all. It's time for another episode of Rolling Dice and Taking Names. Today, the guys talk about games played at their recent ice cream social, like Tammany Hall, Empires of the North Barbarians expansion, Silver Dagger, and many more. Plus, they give their prediction for this year's Toy Hall of Fame. What is this ice cream social? You never ask me to go eat ice cream. I love ice cream, and you never eat ice cream when we have it at the house. You better bring me some ice cream. <laughs> Hello, welcome to yet another episode of Rolling Dice and Taking Names. This is actually take two of episode two. Oh, I don't even know what episode it is now. 209, New York, New York. My name is Marty. And I'm Tony. And we just went about five minutes on a good discussion about oh, so many different things, and I happened to look down, and once again, I did not go through my entire checklist and see that the recording was not running. It was primed and ready to go, but it had not been started. All right, so let's go through the checklist. Power? Uh, AC power is, is connected, yes. Uh, okay. The right inputs are selected. The mm-hmm. clock is running, and I have over three hours of recording time left on this card. All right. And you know you're talking about board games. And we're, we're talking about board games. All right. But it was magical. You shit, man. That was at, literally 209, the start of 209, the, the one that's not recorded, is the best intro of RDTN ever made. It's recorded on my end. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're always looking for the stinger. I'm just going to send you both of my tapes and you can just have me talking and the, the blanks. I don't know what you oh want to do God. with that. You know what I'll do is take your side of the talk and then I interject back to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. We went through this whole thing about Tony fixing his hair and everything that was kind of funny that won't be very funny now. We had a, a great discussion about uh, Tony's yard being hard after the, the hard rains and him trying to pull some good plugs over there. I mean, that was somewhat interesting. Mm-hmm. And then we talked about the mundane life and how everything is just so structured for me. And I enjoy that. And that's <laughs> what I enjoy. Except it was about eight minutes. <laughs> and now it was all condensed down to two. Really, it was good stuff. It was uh, it was good. I mean, I made a great joke about how plugs look like turds in the yard. And mm-hmm. uh, like I said, you made a great joke about you fixing your hair and everything. That was that was pretty good. And uh what else? Yeah, mundane. Yeah, we, we hit that one. So I, th- I think I think we're called up. And I think we just saved our audience eight minutes of their time. So we're <laughs> going to move forward. Oh, uh, what? But what I was going to lead to. Oh my gosh! Was, yeah, was um, Donna's parents came in this past weekend because our ice cream social was very strict to make sure that we um, maintained our social distance and mask or face coverings so that I would not put them in jeopardy because they are in their mid to late seventies. Right. But they came in, they drove in their 38 foot motorhome into Morrow mountain. Have you ever been to Morrow mountain in North Carolina? I have. It's been a while though. Well, they were camping. Mm-hmm. I have not transitioned to fall attire yet. I about froze. I was like, Oh my heavens. And this is in the middle of our state. It's not like it's up in the Appalachians. So I was not expecting when, you know, the weather to be in the mid-60s that day. 
Okay, I knew I knew the joke you were leading up to. It was like, mid, yes. So mid sixties, like like when we get up in the morning in the lows in the fifties, and I gotta take out the dog. It's like, brr. It's <laughs> I gotta put on a jacket. It's crazy cold around here. <laughs> I know. I'm I'm like, we went for a walk this morning. It was fifty two degrees. I'm in sweatpants and a sweatshirt. <laughs> um, I'm like, this is pathetic. <laughs> Meanwhile, you could tell all the Northerners are still, you know, even even when it's 30s and 40s, you could tell them because they're walking around in shorts and uh, flip flops. Absolutely. And it was like today when I was at the, the grocery store and I saw all these people in shorts, I'm like, bet you're not around from around here, are you? Mm-mm. You're used to this. I'm not. Uh, speaking of which, I just uh, uh, shared a video on Twitter. It's from a YouTube channel called It's a Southern Thing. And mm-hmm. uh, it's an interview they did with a lot of Southerners, it was, and they were answering the internet's biggest questions about the South. And, you know, it's a lot of the typical things that you, you've probably heard, too. Why do y'all say y'all? Why do you sound different? You know, what's the biggest stereotype you don't like about the South? It's, and what does bless your heart mean? It's, it's about uh, 15 minutes long. It's really good, though. It, it was really kind of entertaining to hear. Basically, everybody saved the exact same answers to all these questions that we get asked all the time being from the south and i don't think i sound that different than what than other people well i don't I sound mean different. not around people that you grew up with and sound the same well, what's funny is, what's funny is as i've heard uh in the past our audience has, has asked the question it was either on bgg or on twitter which one of us sounds more southern it was about split i would have thought i sounded more southern but there's a lot of people that said you sound more southern than i do well, that's because the, the twang can come out every once in a while, and you and I can both really... That's on purpose, though. I don't. You don't typically do that, though. No. No, we don't do that. I mean, if we want to go Southern, we can go Southern anytime. But Oh, but, uh, you know, it's Southern. So Harris Teeter, which is our local grocery store here, had Pepsi products for 99 cents. And luckily, there was some Mountain Dew Code Red left, and I can snatch those bad boys up. Oh, you're a Code Red fan. Oh, I, oh, oh! I'm, I didn't know I, that. I love Code Red. Wow. Mm-hmm. Oh, but I mean, you know, Mountain Dew Zero, which you can't find right now. But I was like, oh, they got Code oh, Red. Yeah. Normally, it's, I know I see it. It's Code Red is is seldom when they have these sales. It's not there. It's like the drink. I don't know why. Diet Pepsi and Code Red. Well, I was like, wow, almost completely gone. But yeah, I love Code Red. Have you tried Mountain Dew Voodoo? That's out right now. Uh, no, I grocery, well, once again, mundane life, grocery store, come home. Well, you talked about grocery store. We went to the grocery store today and got some Mountain Dew voodoo that was at the grocery store. My grocery, my hair theater doesn't have that. Yeah, man, it does. Well, you live in the uppity south side. <laughs> the uppity south side. Uh, it's, it's one of those that my kids really like. It, it, it's, it's seasonal. It's, uh, like comes right around Halloween. It's it's more it's very citrusy. It's very very fruity. I think it's pretty good. It's clear. It's a clear color one. And uh, have you tried the Mountain Dew that's at Bojangles? No, because I don't. So what is it with the Bojangles? I used to be able to go to the Bojangles and get in the drive through without any issue. My gosh, it's wrapped around the freaking store. I passed two Bojangles tonight on my way to get um, Chinese food, and they were packed with people. You just can't get pulled in there anymore. It's it's always full. Drive-throughs are constantly full now. Okay, think about it. What's today? Today is Sunday. What goes on on Sunday in the falls? In well, the fall? I know it's I know it's our football, but it was six p.m. They should have gotten their their chicken at 
10 a.m. Well, there's a there's a primetime game. Yes, it's, uh, what is it, Seattle versus New England? That's true. Look at you, yes. Well, I know this because an NC State quarterback is playing tonight against our old quarterback here from the Carolinas. And that's why I'm actually interested in uh, seeing it. And, uh, and it starts in 20 minutes, so we got we got to record fast. Well, I'm fine stopping now. <laughs> and let me tell you what, so is the audience. <laughs> yes, they are. So uh, looking at our show notes, what is this Dads on Mowers RPG? Okay, so this is a last-minute news item that just dropped right before we hit record. Uh, our buddy... Uh, over on both our uh, Slack channel and Discord channel, Phil the Sheep. Phil! Drop some knowledge on me that there is a special supplement in the Kids on Wheels RPG. That's from Renegade Games. Have you ever seen that when it came out a couple years ago? Mm, It's a very family-oriented RPG. Uh, Kids on Bikes. Kids on Wheels. Wow, it's Mills on Wheels. Kids on Bikes RPG. Uh, Very family-friendly. It's it's a way for kids to get into RPGs. There's a supplement that uh, was written by uh, uh, Banana Chan Games, who has a supplement called Dad's Own Mowers. Okay. uh, That's in, and she she told me on Twitter where it is. It's in Strange Adventures Volume 1. And I said, we got to check this out, because if there's an RPG where we can play as Dad's Own Mowers, then then we need to, to try it. And so... Uh, out on the website, you can download the character sheet. And typically, the character sheet's for kids, but here's the adult character sheet that you can play in the game. Check this out. There are stats on this sheet, for example. So here is a, a dad character sheet. The strengths are you get to choose two. Adorable, lucky, dad abs, puns, vroom vroom, beard, resourceful. There are flaws to your character. You choose two. Clumsy, awkward, sweaty, embarrassing, patronizing, and for you, my friend, grumpy. Wow, that's a tough one because I'm I'm a very sweaty kind of guy, but grumpy would work. <laughs> so sweaty and grumpy could be your flaws? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, uh, ooh, I, I'm, I'm a nasty person after I finish mowing along, but I can see resourcefulness as well. Oh, but anyway, I thought that I thought that was cute though. So I was like, all right, so there's there's a dads on mowers supplement with a special character sheet just for dads. It's like, all right, all right, we may have to check this out sometime. So uh, thanks to Phil the sheep uh, for letting us in on that. He's he's always good about pointing Phil. us towards little things like that. And uh, so I would just want to throw that in there real quick. And thanks to Banana Chan Games actually coming back on Twitter and, and letting us know where that came from as as uh, they're the ones that actually wrote it. That's pretty cool. Well, mm-hmm. uh, you know, when we can get our opportunity to play a role-playing game again, because unfortunately, our D&D time has ended. Mm-hmm. Dower Grimax has been put on the shelf, and I have no problem with this. I commend Mr. Waybright in trying to get us scheduled, get five people, six people scheduled to do an online G, uh, D&D. You are being too nice. He just basically booted us out of the group. No, I don't. I disagree. Oh, no. It was a definite boot. There were, there were five of us there, and it's like, let's get rid of the two that are the most annoying. And, uh, well, there's that would have to be us. Well, well that's kind of interesting since we never talked. We never <laughs> were able to talk. 
So I just figured it was that it was hard to manage all the schedules, and I appreciated him giving us that opportunity. Oh, there was a, he didn't give us the opportunity. It's just like, you two are gone. <laughs> there wasn't no, like, no, 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 no. Like, uh, this is too hard. Would two people like to volunteer to step out? And you know what? I would have been, you know, that's fine. I'll step out because I know it is kind of a pain. It's just like, I just got a message. Uh, by the way, we all voted, and basically, you're out of the group. What's interesting? That's interesting. I'm kidding. He, he, they didn't vote. I'm kidding. He's going to listen to this and he's going to come back to me and he's going to say, you made me look horrible. And it's like, well, that's what you get kicking me off his RPG group. <laughs> well, let's see. That's wrong of you, man. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It came down to the fact it was very hard to get five schedules together. Mm-hmm. You and I were the last two to say we could commit and join the group. So yeah, we're out. Yes, and that's fine. <laughs> but here's the thing is, I still enjoy my time playing RPGs. And yes, it is it is hard to schedule to have an ongoing campaign. But you know what? I love to do one-shots. I love it. And with October coming up, I'm telling you right now, I would love to sit and do some some horror-themed RPGs like Call of Cthulhu. If somebody has like a Call of Cthulhu one-shot scenario, I'd love to sit in and try it. I know that Joel Eddy from Drive Through Games... Uh, drive through review is also trying to set up and do a Age of Sigmar RPG session, and I love the system uh, in that one. And again, uh, he, he'd like to do like one campaign that just lasts like three sessions and play once a month. It's like Joel, that I can commit to because that's that's easy. And there's a definite ending and a definite ending to it. You know, mm-hmm. wow, definite beginning and definite ending to it. I'm still very interested. I do. I still would much rather sit at a table and actually do it because it is tough sitting in front of a monitor for three hours and oh yeah Uh, it's absolutely absolutely tough i mean you don't know how many d20s i'm rolling to get the right number (laughs) you should have rolled some more because there are some horrible rolls the last time that we played and then i discovered on was it D beyond about clicking on if you click on the numbers they'll roll dice for you i gotta roll my physical dice man no, I understand that, but I was like, okay, uh, well, how does this damage work? And I clicked on it, and it rolled and put, added all the modifiers in. I'm like, this makes life very easy for me. Yeah, and don't forget, we haven't mentioned it in a while, but we still have an affiliate uh, with Metallic, Metallic Dice Games, which has some incredible dice, and that's the dice we used in, during our session. You can get uh, some percentage off if you go over there to Metallic Dice Games and enter in RDTN as a promo code. And we know that some of y'all have uh, done it because we get reports back each month about when people use the affiliate link. Quality, quality dice. They have acrylic dice. They have metal dice. So go check out MetallicDiceGames.com. Use promo code RTDN. R- wow, whatever our initials are. RDTN and get uh, it's either five or ten percent off uh, your purchase. And you are sitting in a nice E-Win chair because I am in my new recording studio area. I am now upstairs. We've made Rebecca's room my new recording area because she's gone. And we got a desk, and I'm sitting up here getting all excited, but I had to bring up a chair. So I went out to E-Win to order, and using, once again, RDTN, you get 20% off. But they're sold out due to back to school. And I'm like, well, that bites. Of every model? Almost every model. There are there were a few models that were left. And, well, of course, the $500 ones, and I'm not doing that. I don't need a $500 butt chair. That's ridiculous. I can go get a fold-up chair at Walmart for and does the same thing. Let's my butt sit in it. I don't, you know. Anyway, I'm digressing on money again. So, I need to wait for him to get the stock re- 
replenished over there at Ewen, and I'm mm-hmm. going to go out there and order up my chair for the new recording studio up in my daughter's room. And I hope she doesn't mind that there's going to be all kinds of stuff hanging. Probably I did get in the mail some really cool stuff. Talk to me. I know everybody loved the puzzle segment. I received Renegade Games puzzles. Gave one mm-hmm. to you. Yes. And those puzzles are glorious. I told Donna, I said, once we've complete this one, we will be um, jumping on the Renegade puzzles uh, over, uh, over sight, over, no, over light. Over light. Oh my gosh, dude. Is that not some gorgeous art? Gorgeous art. And then I'm very excited. So we're, I'm debating over light or the Arboretum because I gave you the Raiders one. Yes. And I just, I just love the art on the, I've always liked the art in that game. Raiders of the North Sea and that that line of games. And so, yes, you gave me that one. I was disappointed it was a thousand-piece puzzle because I never get through a thousand-piece, so it may come back to you. But I, I may attempt it. I'll see if Vanessa wants to attempt it. Okay. And so in the future, um, when we do the um, I Fall to Pieces segment with Donna, we're going, we've got a puzzle that we're finishing up. Mm-hmm. There will be a special announcement in there, so you'll have to pay attention about possibly being entered into a contest to win an Overlight Puzzle because I was able to secure us a second copy. But that's to come, and that's in the future. That's nice. Cool. And then Ravensburger showed up on my doorstep the new puzzles that they're creating from the villainous card game. So so is it card art? It's the people who did the art that's on the villainous games. Mm-hmm. So one, so the, they're coming out with the three new ones from the latest one. There, there'll be Scar, Yzma, and the, um, oh gosh, the, uh, Mickey Mouse's, um, enemy rat. I can't remember his name, but anyway, those three puzzles were in a box and I'm very excited, especially with scar. Um, Ooh, put those together. So beautiful art, all that. How many pieces is that one? It's a thousand and everything's up there, man. I think it's really cool that a lot of these board game companies are coming out with puzzles for their games. It's, it's a great way. It's a, it's another medium to get their art, um, mm-hmm. out there. And I, th- I think that's great, especially in this time now where puzzles are super popular. So no better time. I think a lot of game publishers should jump on this. It, c- it can't be that hard to make a puzzle, you know, produce it. Mm-hmm. I-, I assume that probably you you just basically go to a factory that makes them and say, look, here's the art good to use. Punch it out, throw it in the box, and we're done. That's pretty much it. I need about 10,000 copies. I mean, think about for um, Portal, Empires of the North, um, which uh, we actually got to play the new um clans on there but some of ignacy's artwork on on those games that'd be so cool yeah some of the imperial settlers artwork would be great looking on on the walls man there's a there's a bunch of good art to go out there now that's exciting that's really cool and so you're getting into puzzles and i'm now diving into reading some uh pulp fiction novels that's come out from acolyte books and i'm reading the first one now called the wrath of nakai and once i have it finished i'll be doing a book review uh, on here come it'll be coming up in october which is perfect time for uh, you know halloween and everything like that so that's what i'm kind of doing in my spare time is trying to get through this book why don't you do a book club an online book club since we're not doing rpgs online <laughs> i actually thought about that i ran it by vanessa to see hey would you want to read this too and then us discuss it and she is she's non-committal which i totally understand at this point <laughs> it takes a little more time to sit down and re- she loves to read don't get me wrong she she oh, yeah. loves to read but uh, she likes to read stuff she likes to read. But I thought she might be interested just because it's Arkham Horror thing. But regardless, I at least will be talking about it. So, yeah, I think it's really neat that books, puzzles, that the board game 
uh, licensed stuff is now going into other ways to consume that besides just the board game itself. Now, a company that is rising from the dead recently, I mean, they, they had this big splash, Riot Games. Every video gamer out there just laughed at you saying Riot Games rising from the dead. Riot Games is one of the biggest video games companies. They, have, they aren't anywhere close to dead. Well, that's not my point. My point was they re- they put out this board game and then mm-hmm. done. We, nothing. And now suddenly, out of nowhere. <laughs> nothing except for a $4 billion industry for League of Legends. But go ahead. You keep going back to the video games. I'm concentrating on the board games. Okay. They had, the, they, they had this huge, successful board game that came out. And then, and now all of a sudden they're like, oh, by the way, here's another one. And we're talking Telstones, which you can get for $30 right now. Boom. Out here. I mean, there was there was no Kickstarter, no nothing. It was just, here it is. And you allowed me to uh, sit down and play this interesting game. I allowed you to sit down and play it. Mm-hmm. Well, you were busy <laughs> getting ice cream. <laughs> yeah, so Telstones King's Gambit is based in the uh, the world of, of League of Legends. But it is way different than Mechs versus Minions. You know, Mechs versus Minions is... Very much a deep campaign game. Takes hours of, of time to play. There's a lot of miniatures in that box and everything. And when Chris Cantrell, the designer of Tailstone's King's Gambit, uh, worked on this and contacts us and said, hey, you want to check out this new game? It's like, yeah, dude, Mechs versus Minions was amazing. So I was expecting something, you know, a little more along that scale. This is not that. This is simply just a two-player game. Probably plays in 10 to 15 minutes. And this is one of those games, Tony, when you read the rules, you think, is this all there is to it? How is this a game? And then you play it and you go, oh, so that's how this is a game. Well, it's a game. It's a memory game. I mean, if, if you say it's not, what was the, the memory game with the marbles? God. Master, mastermind? See, no. I need to play. Yeah, Mastermind. I need to play more memory games. Obviously, that's not really memory games. Is that the one where you had to determine the pattern of marbles? Yeah, but that's true. Yeah. Okay, the memory was on my side to remember what I picked, even though I could see it right there. Yeah, it's kind of laid out there for you. Yeah, it's kind of laid out there, but uh, and that was deducing and things. But a memory game, flipping over cards, concentration, that kind of stuff. It does look like just a basic memory game in that you have, number one, let's go get it out of the way. The production is, is top-notch. You know, when Riot Games is going to put out a game, they're going to put out top-notch production. It's this huge metal box that holds these seven circular, I guess they're ceramic or acrylic. That's what they are. Is they're acrylic stones uh, with each one with the individual image, like a, a sword, a shield, a horse, etc. And you put them off to the side, and there's this felt mat that you have down uh, on the table. Over the course of the game, you're going to be adding these stones from the pool to make a line in between you, and you're going to be taking actions to flip those stones face down and then swapping their positions, and it's kind of like a shell game. You have to remember where everything is, and at some point in the game, you may be challenged to determine what stone is what, or maybe you can say, I can name all the stones that are face down, and the whole goal is to get three points to win the game. But what's interesting is, is you got just a very few options to do on your turn. So if it's my turn, I can tell you, Tony, uh, I want you to take that stone that's in the pool over there and put it on the line. You have to put it either on the left or right hand side of the stones that are already there. And you do so. Then you may go to you and you say, okay, Marty, I want you to hide one of these stones, which is basically take 
you're going to point to one and say, take that face up stone, put it face down. It may come back to me. I say, okay, Tony, I want you to swap these two stones. I'll point to them and you'll swap them. And then on your turn, you go, oh, I can't remember what that face down stone is. So for my turn, I'm just going to peek at one. You pick it up, you look at it, you put it back down. But at any point in time, I can come back and say, okay, Tony, I'm going to challenge you. Do you know what that face down stone is? And then you tell me, well, Marty, that happens to be a horse. And you flip it up. If it's a horse, you get a point. If it's not, I get a point. And the last thing is, at any point in time on their turn, we can say, you know what? I can tell you what every stone is that's face down right now on the line. Their opponent has an option at that point. They can say, you know what? I believe you just take a point for free. They can say, you know what? No, you, you don't know what it is. Why don't you tell me what they are? And if the person says, well, I will, and I'll tell you, and if they're right, they automatically win the game. If any of those stones that they point to are wrong, then the opponent wins the game. The last option is, if I was to say, Tony, I know what all these stones are. You could say, well, Marty, I do too. And if you say that, then I have to say either, you know what, I, I don't think you're bluffing. Just take a point. You can have it. Or I have to say, show me. And then it'll resolve to either you know them and you win the game or you don't and I win the game. And that is the entire game right there that after a couple times of playing, I had to go get some aspirin because my head hurt. Because you had the memory issues. Yep. Okay. And I'm looking on their webpage and it's Telstones is more than a memory game. You'll need to outsmart your opponents to win. I'm like, well, that's easy for, me, for um, someone playing me. Will you focus on an impenetrable defense? Okay, that would require me to use my memory, so there's not much defense there. Exploit your opponent's weakness, my memory, or devise <laughs> your own unique tactics. Man, there's not much tactics here. Flip them over and then say, hey, do you remember any of these? I'm going to say no. Okay. I, I will. It, it was fun. I, I'm, I'm making light of this from the standpoint of, of what's on their website, but it, it was a fun, quick memory game. I mean, you know, it's one of those things I think you can – you know, challenge the kids with kids challenge the adults with me and Vanessa played this game and loved it. Did you? Yes. She really enjoyed it. Okay. I was going to say, get her and I'll let me hear if she really enjoyed that. I was going to do a Telstone challenge there. You know, I mean, so it's one of those things. Once you say, well, it's just a, it's just a memory game. We're going to each tell each other to move stones around, swap stones, put stones down, and then try to guess which ones they are. But the thing is, is, is what they talk about on, on the line, talk about the, the bluffing and everything. And how this works is, is it can get kind of crazy. You can have two face down stones and I can point to those two and I say, uh, those two face down stones, I know that's the sword and that's the shield. I want you swap those two, but I could be totally lying knowing that's not the sword and the shield. It may be the sword and the horse. And the idea is that I'm trying to say things to maybe throw you off. Mm -hmm. But then you got to be careful because you may be throwing yourself off too. Or you mm -hmm. could just sit there and, and start talking about the weather and try to get the other person distracted so they'll forget what's down there. Squirrel. Yeah, exactly. But to me, the thing, the rule that's in here that I think is the most clever rule that I didn't understand until I played it is this. Your opponent does everything that you tell them to. It's not that I'm going to pick two and swap them. Or I'm going to pick one and put it face down. You tell the opponent to do that. And that's why this is so important. If I point to two stones and I say, Tony, 
I'm, I'm just going to swap these stones. Boom, it's done. And you go, whoa, whoa, what'd you just do? By me saying, Tony, I want you to swap those stones. What it allows you to do is before you do it, you sit there and think, okay, what are those two stones? And when I swap them, this is going to be the new order. It gives you time to process, okay? Because I've already done the processing. If there's two face down stones and I go, yeah, I, I'm sitting there thinking about it. I know what those two are. And I want to swap those because I think it's going to be for me to easier to remember because I have this little trick to remember it. All right, yeah, those two are swapped. It gives you time to take your time and think about what they are. And then when you decide how you want to try to memorize it, then you do at the actual swapping. That little rule makes the game to me. Okay. And for me, it's the ability to challenge the opponent when I start thinking, okay, it's time to move on. Putting more out there is going to hurt me. So I need to go ahead and try to push that opponent, see if they're ready and if they have a better memory than me. Because if I know that if he gets all of those out there, it's going to start becoming a jumbled mess to me. So I've got to quickly move through these. I'm not going to waste my time. That's how I'm going to play this game. I'm not going to let you process. I'm going to be pushing on you to quickly, quickly, quickly do things. Yeah. And that's, and when you were watching me and Bert play, it was like, okay, move that, move that, move that, move that. It was like watching speed chess, you know, hit yeah. the clock, hit the clock. And me and Vanessa, when we played, it was very slow and methodical. Okay. Very slow and methodical. I'd say Vanessa swapped those two and she'd sit there and stare at it for a second. And you could tell she was processing, you know, making sure she had it memorized before she did the swapping and everything. I also like the fact you can just peek. If you ever just like, I'm totally lost on your turn, you can just peek at one to kind of refresh your memory on what they are. I know it's a, it's a good little two player uh, bluffing. It's more than just a memory game. Uh, there's, there's some mind stuff going on with the other person. So it's only 30 bucks. I mean, 30 bucks may sound like a lot for a memory game, but wait till you see the production value on this. I'm it's, there's pictures all over the internet right now. It's one of those things you just throw in a drawer. You can play with somebody. It, like I said, it is great for kids. That's tell stones, King's gambit from riot games. And I hope this opens doing well because uh, I like Chris Cantrell. He's a, he's a great guy and I hope this does well for him. Now, speaking of memory, which mm-hmm. you and I seldom do well on the new, Game from Bezier Games came out the the silver line dagger. Yes. So let's let's go through them. We we had the amulet. Mm-hmm. We had the bullet. Mm-hmm. We had the coin. Yep. And now we are up to dagger. Yep. Now, for those of you who don't remember what silver ab- about, it reminds it's similar to the game golf of the card game golf, where you are looking at two cards that are before you. All your cards are face down. Your opponent's cards are all face down. And what you're trying to do is score the lowest number so that at the end of four rounds, and the way you score is based on the card values that you have before you. The difference is, of course, in silver is that some of the, all the cards, all 13 cards have special powers to them and the low number cards have their powers come into play when they're face up in front of the player. I enjoy silver. I enjoy golf. It's quick, easy game. And these of course bring in some unique characters. And one of my favorites of course is approximator and the approximator, you know, Marty, when you play, flip over two cards that are equal value, you can replace them with one. Yep. And if you screw up and you flip over two different cards, then guess what? You get stuck with one more card. You can't replace them. So the approximator was kind of fun. He was like, yeah, it's close enough. So get rid of those cards. I thought that was a unique little card they added to it. For people that's listening and have no clue what you're talking about, what does the approximator do? When you draw the approximator, he may replace any two cards in your line. That's it. 
is he approximates. Okay. Well, thank you. I mean, you're just sitting there saying it's a great card. And it's like, well, it'd be great to hear what this card does. What makes it so great? If you had been listening and not typing on your keyboard, you would have heard me the first. I was not time. typing. I was sitting there staring at you the whole time, waiting for you to tell me what the approximator did. He gets to replace those two cards. He approximates <laughs> them. Now, one of your favorites, of course, was zombies. Oh, my God. Dude, I hated the zombie, but I love the zombie. Yeah. So typically, you know, you can get rid of cards. You, you know, you... you Match cards, get rid of them and stuff. Except for the text on the zombie is, uh, you can't get rid of that card. Mm-mm. Now, the only thing you can hope to do is get it turned face up. And if it's face up, the face up ability is you get to pass it off to somebody else. Mm-hmm. So once a zombie comes out, you ain't going to get rid of the zombie. So the zombies multiply. The more they come out on the table, they just keep growing and growing and you can't get rid of them. The only thing you can hope to do is get it flipped up so that you can pass it off. Yeah. So a whole bunch of new tags for the new silver expansion, Dagger. Uh, you can add it with all the other ones that have come out. The ones that would, I can see where you shuffle the cards up from the series one, the amulet, where you're shifting the cards around. So four of these trying to come up with a mix match version could get very confusing. I could see bringing in some of those cards. I don't know which one's my favorite so far. I, th- I think I'm, a, I'm, I think I'm a purist though. I think Marty, and I really enjoyed the first, first series. I really like dagger because I remember coin. Some of the abilities were starting to get kind of out there. And I worried that you were going to have this, this thing that, you, that happened like in games like ashes and Netrunner, where uh, after a while, the cards that came out got so kind of confusing because you had to come up with something different and wacky to do. Did you notice on some of these, Tony, that some of them kind of went back to the basic things yes. of just kind of peek at other people's cards? I dug that. It's not like they had to come up with something brand new. What they did was they came up with a card that may have had a similar ability in the past, but maybe stuck it on a new number, a new value. But it still kind of did the same thing. So it's not like 13 cards is like totally out there at this point. There were a couple. Approximator was really new. Zombies really new. But some of them were just like uh, peek at a couple other you know people's cards. And other people's, you can't look at your own, but you can look at other people's and swap and stuff like that. Very easy to pick up and understand. So I kind of think I may actually like Dagger more than I did Coin. Okay. And you're absolutely right because they brought in some of the middle numbers, the seven through nine, where, you know, peek at the cards or flip over cards until you turn over a card that's four or less. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, and the original said it was just, you know, turn over a card. So I think the question is, Tony, if people already own silver and they already own silver, maybe two of them or, or three of them, do you need the fourth? Well, if you're a completionist, you're going to get the fourth. If it's like, well, I don't need all four of them, but are there any cool cards in there? I do think there are a couple of cool cards. I think the zombie was kind of cool. Is it cool enough to go get the the brand new the box? Oh, there was the uh, the the other one too. Oh gosh, the number ten card, which is kind of cool. Magician. No one magician. It was it was Renfield. It was the uh, number ten. Add the top card of the deck to your private deck. Oh, that's right. Private deck. Okay. Yeah. So you had your own little private deck that if you ever wanted to, you could always draw from and use it instead of from the other deck. I I thought that was kind of interesting. That just a real simple one. The reverser, make it go the opposite direction. You know, it's like reverse, like a Uno. Mm -hmm. That kind of came into play a few times. But then the one that I want to try to achieve, but it's kind of a hit or miss and it will kill you. I believe it was the 13 that if you can equal 50 points, the furry, if it's such a cute card, if you can hit 50 points, then 
you get zero points. And does everybody get 50? Yep. Other players get 50 points. I'm like, oh, this is the shoot the moon card from like hearts or any other game where you're playing that, that concept. I'm like, is it worth it? I mean, you could have five cards in front of you. And as long as you do well, good math, well, and make good sentences, then you will be able to do this. But I'm like, man, yeah. that would be a challenge. I waved you off earlier for the card I was trying to remember. There is a magician. It just mm. was having to be the one that I was trying to remember. The magician's the number eight card where you can turn one card face up in another village. Then you must either use its uh, flip ability or switch it with one of your cards. Uh, there's one that's just really easy to understand too. Again, a lot of these are just straightforward. The flipper. Flip every card in a village. If it's face up, it goes face down. If it's face down, it comes face up. You know, just simple ones like that. It wasn't that hard to figure out what these do. So you take the flipper, assuming it's not with the same value as the one, oh, I forget which set it's in, the one that mixes everything up on somebody. Yes. That would be fun. The halfling too was, if it's face up, divide your total by two. So once again, silver, dagger, it's out. I hope you, if you enjoyed the silver series, by all means, take a look at it. Some of the cards have gone back to the basics. I, I'm with Marty on this. I enjoyed the, the first set, but I definitely enjoyed da Dagger more than I think Coin at this time. Another thing in our ice cream social uh, that we did was uh, you you showed us a new pickup and deliver game. I haven't played a lot of pickup deliver games, so I was very excited about this, uh, this game about us being pilots and taking passengers around uh, the state of Alaska. Yes, we did. We played a game called Yukon Air. Airways. I was excited about it because uh, same thing. It's pick up, deliver passengers, the cool mechanisms, the boards of having to deal with fuel and getting bonus points. And if you achieve these passengers, getting them to the right cities they want to be delivered to, then you are doing a good job and you get points. There you go. <laughs> Whoever gets the most points wins. <laughs> but but what I, I guess what made me most excited about this game, don't want to really go over a whole bunch of rules here, Marty, but was the fact that the passengers were dice. Yes. And at the beginning of the round, you roll the dice and put them at the gates. And, you know, the gates are numbered one through six. So if you want to pick up the passengers are at, that are at gate five, you would get a special ability at gate five, but you would go later in turn order to deliver them. And what happens if you go later in turn order is that if you deliver a red dice to a city with a red cube, you get a bonus. And that yes. was the whole premise of it. And that's why you may not want to do that. And the other players may beat you there. So you have to watch that and you have to watch your fuel. And then any passenger that was left at the airport, I'm sure they were not happy with you. They didn't get rolled. Next round starts, roll the dice again, rinse and repeat, and try to maximize your fuel to get to farther destinations to get more points. Continue to grow your points. And therefore, at the end of it, whoever has the most points wins. I think the thing that I really liked was the all the upgrade options to the plane. Uh, every time you delivered a, you know, a passenger of the same color to a location that had the same color cube. You got like free upgrades or a way to upgrade your plane. There was a way to get more fuel, like you said. Uh, there was a way to manipulate uh, some of the passengers uh, when you did the drafting and everything. Uh, you got more tickets where you could have more options in your hand on different places to go. Uh, typically, you could only carry one die at a time. It, there time, and they had to be the same color, but it allows you to play, carry multiple color dies and everything in the plane. So there were a lot of options as you played. It's like, what do I, how do I want to upgrade my plane? And I think that was the most interesting part of the game for me is what steps do I want to take? Do I want to have a bigger gas tank? 
do I just go ahead and get some uh, quick fuel uh, real fast? You know, that, that sort of thing. So that part I enjoyed. The player boards were super nice as far as like the cockpit of the plane and the dials. And you told me that when you put all these mm. together, because each player board had like three dials uh, that you could, you know, with needles on them. And you said, you not, put not them three, upside down. six. Oh, that was painful. Absolutely <laughs> painful. Because if I, if you put it, <laughs> read the instructions in the setup, and it was this little diagram that I just completely bypassed. If you put it in the wrong way, the dials were basically very loose. And that would drive you insane. By putting it the correct way, the dials were tight and that way they would stay in place. Could you imagine trying to sit there and was I on a five? No, wait, no, I was on a six. No, oh, it, it moved. Oh, I think it's a good introduction to a pickup and deliver style game. I think the only thing that might be overwhelming is the sheer number of upgrades that a person can do. And they may get lost on which one they want to do first and what order and everything like that. I guess the only negative thing, Tony, was to me, maybe, and maybe this is just me in general, but the past several uh, ice cream socials, there's been a game on the table that felt that lasted too long. I thought this one was about 15 minutes to 20 minutes longer than what it should have been. But again, maybe that was just me and it was, it was late at night. And maybe it's just me now not wanting to uh, get tired of games after a while. I just feel like they stay on the table a tad too long. I wish this had been about 15 minutes shorter. And we, it's not like there's a whole lot of rounds to this either. It was a lot to do from the standpoint of load the passengers, adjust the gauges, you adjust your fuel, then figure out which tickets you want. And then everybody go through the process, then collect you know, your bonuses and your income from that, because it's actually not victory points. It's income is how you win the game, which is victory points. Anyway, yes, I understand. So it, it was a very rinse and repeat. Keep going, keep going. And where was the strategy? How can I um, manipulate the strategy to get more points? And I How can you manipulate the strategy? Yeah. <laughs> what, what strategy do I need to do? And now, again, a lot of that came from whatever what the upgrades you pick. You know, mm -hmm. you can't do every upgrade. So you want to maximize and utilize whatever upgrades uh, that you pick to your best of your ability. Isn't that what manipulate the strategy is all about? Well, you're not really manipulating the track. You're, you're, I Adjusted. don't know. I'm, 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 I'm tongue-tying myself. So this is by Ludo Nova. As designer mm -hmm. Al Ludek plays one to four players, 60 to 90 minutes, which is pretty much about right. We played three players and it was probably about 60 to uh, 75 minutes long. So that's probably right on par. And how is your lunch time going now that, you know, you're back in the office and your coworkers are back in the office? I bet you're getting in a lot of a Marvel game. We are getting in at least one game a week. And uh, we really were excited to get in some games recently because the brand new expansion Rise of Red Skull came out. And the reason why we were so excited about this was because this is it was introducing campaign elements. Now, the thing that I love so much about Arkham Horror LCG is the campaign. The campaign in Lord of the Rings, well, I thought was okay, but I didn't feel like I was really playing a story. It was kind of like, okay, I'm going to do this scenario, then this scenario, and this scenario. Whereas Arkham, I definitely felt like I am this one investigator. And as I play this game, there's a narrative and I get XP, upgrade my deck and everything. So I was hoping that Rise of Red Skull was going to be that way. After playing it now, it's probably more leans towards the Lord of the Rings style of campaign than it does Arkham Horror. And what I mean by that is, you remember in Lord of the Rings that in order to move once from one scenario to the next, you have to beat that scenario. Mm -hmm. And then between the scenarios, you could just adjust your deck tweak your deck, do whatever you think you need to try to win that scenario. Yes. That's pretty much what it is uh, with 
with this one. When you face uh, one of the uh, villains, you must beat that villain before you move on in between games. Uh, you pick one hero, you stick with one, but the deck, you can modify however you want. You could change the aspects, change whatever cards you want in there, in order to try to beat that villain once you do, then you could change it again before you go to the next villain. Very much like Lord of the Rings. Very different than Arkham Horror. In Arkham Horror, you play a scenario once and that's it. There's some sort of resolution. Either you're really screwed up, either uh, there's multiple resolutions depending on how you finished, and you move on to the next. You don't replay and you don't get to really tweak your deck in between games except for whatever XP that you earn. So that's why I say it leans more towards Lord of the Rings. What happens in here is when you finish and beat a villain, there may be cards that will maybe move into the next encounter deck based on how you did against like for the first villain. There was these weapons and everything that was discovered by the villain. Those weapons cards will go into the next villain's encounter deck. But because we won, each of us gets one card that we can use as a one-time ability to help us out. So the encounter deck is tweaked a little bit. You maybe get a little bit of a bonus and you kind of progress through that. So it's not exactly the campaign style game that I wanted, but it's probably the campaign style game that Marvel Champions needed. Okay, that's interesting. Well, you know, someday I hope to get Marvel Champions to the table. I'm finding playing single player yeah, not as not as rewarding as I would hope it would be. This is not a game for me and Donna, you know. But the nice thing about Marvel Champions is way, way, way easier to get into than Lord of the Rings and Arkham. Oh, yeah. And that's why I said that for that reason, Rise of Red Skull, I think, is perfect for it. Because a Marvel Champions game is a sit down and play. Enjoy it. You're done. Move on. Playing through the campaign of Rise of Red Skull is pretty much the same way. There's not nearly as much time involved in that as there is in Arkham Horror. That's why I said maybe it's not what I was looking for, but it's perfect for the Marvel Champions game itself. And let me I tell you, on the Ice Cream Social Night, when we think that our third player, Bert, is going to be late, bring a deck, man. I'll be glad to play any time uh, okay. before uh, Bert gets there. Uh, games, you know, we could play a game in 30 to 45 minutes and be done. Uh, speaking of that, uh, this past week, you threw a game out on the table from Pandasaurus Games that we got to check out before Bert showed up that I really enjoyed too. Uh, what, which game was that? I, I can't remember. You dog. I'm kidding you. I'm so so here, here's, you. The, here's the thing <laughs> in the show notes. Boy, we just pull back the curtain. I couldn't remember the name of the game. And in the show notes, it says, that card game from Pandasaurus. So what does Tony do? Tony gets in the bus, cranks it up. <laughs> it just backs up right over me. Well, I was waiting for you to do a pronunciation for me because I know I'm probably going to mess this up. I'm going to give it my best shot. Ohanami. O-H-A-N-A-M-I. Ohanami. I believe that's correct. I've been listening to the videos trying to get that pronunciation right. But yes, a very simple card game. Each player gets 10 cards. And the goal of the game is to score the most points. Imagine that. <laughs> hey, am I wrong? Okay. So, uh, maybe, maybe we should do this from now on. Always assume it's most points unless we say differently. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> I can do that. I mean, uh, why? Why we will? Whenever we encounter a game, maybe we can play some big celebration music. Hey, it's not the most points. Well, that's where thematic games come in, right? And we just haven't mm -hmm. played of a lot of Ameritrash games. Uh, that's true. I'm I'm still waiting for someday to get 
some type of good dice rolling killing thing game going again. But anyway, back to Ohanami. It's a deck of 120 cards. And in there, there are four suits. And what you're trying to do is build a garden. And in you can have up to three gardens. And think, oh, what's the game? Uh, Lost Worlds? No, that's not, no, I'll think of it here in a little bit. But anyway, you are trying to either descend or ascend. You can do both in your garden. And at the end of one round, after everybody has played their 10 cards, then you score based on how many blue cards do you have in your garden. And then you'll go to the next layer where you add another color. And then in the third and final round, you say, okay, well, these three colors plus how many of this one color did you collect? And there's various points that will multiply based on the number of cards you get. But the neat part of this game for me is that you are passing cards. You pick two cards and pass. You Then you play those two cards and then you pick up and you look and you do two again. So you're sitting there watching the other player build his garden and you're like, ooh, I don't want him to have these cards, but I really want to collect these cards so what do I do? Because you do have the option to discard cards if you don't want to use them. Mm -hmm. So you kind of have to w weigh that. Do I really want these cards? Will they help me more at the end? Or am I better off messing them up and messing up their sequence of either going up or down? And both, like I said, both gardens can, a garden can go up and down as you're playing. I really like this game. I do too. I liked it more than I thought I would. And it's because that, I, okay, so it has the drafting which I really liked. And you said that, you know, the first round, only the blue card score. And the next round, maybe it adds in the pink. But the thing is, though, the gardens have those in there. It's just that they don't score until a certain round. So you probably look ahead and go, well, I know this is coming up. And I know this, this color is a high scoring color. So I'm going to go ahead and get it in my garden now, uh, knowing that it eventually will score and potentially score me points. Tony, to me, it kind of had a feeling of uh, not not the meanness, but six Nimit, where the guy, mm -hmm. you know, you, you increase your card numbers, but you want to get the gaps as close together as possible. You want to make small jumps between your cards because you don't want to run out. You don't want to make, you know, I don't want to go from 50 to 90 because then anything between 50 and 90, I can't put in that garden anymore. And the game I was thinking about was Lost Cities where you always have to go up. Oh, Here yeah. You. yeah. Yeah. You're absolutely right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I liked it. It played quick. Uh, I like the drafting mechanic. The scoring is super easy. It's one of those games, again, man, there's something about when somebody comes out with a simple game like Tellstones that we talked about, and it just hits the right spot. You know, overly complicated games doesn't make it good. Mm -hmm. If you come up with that simple little thing, and for me, honestly, it was the passing and the concept of having numbers going up and down. And then, like you said, me kind of hate drafting. It's like, man, Tony could really use this card right here. So I'm going to draft it. Even though I can't use it, I'm going to keep him from getting it, and I'll just discard it. Now, we play two players, so I think if we were to add one more player, it takes it to another level for us because, you know, you're, you're passing – clockwise in one round, counterclockwise in the next, and clockwise in the final round. And I, and I would like that. I mean, still, two players, it was good, but a third person I think really adds this can play up to four. I think four, I'm not too keen on, but I'd love to try it just to see. So while you're sitting at the house organizing your games because, well, you can't go out and play because, well, you can't find a place to sit because this stupid virus thing's going on still. 
What? I hear you laughing over there. Stupid virus thing. Oh, my heavens. Go out to the Broken Token. They have your organizer that you need. They have the organizer that you didn't think you need. They have pieces for your games that you can't wait to get to the table. So when you get them on the table, everybody will be like, oh, what is that? And you'll be like, that's my cool stuff from thebrokentoken.com. They have everything you could possibly want. Okay, maybe not everything. You know, I don't think they've got Broken Token Mask yet. But who knows well, it, what, what could happen? I do know that they are very talented over there because Marty and I just got notification that the Squirrely Wards, which we normally deliver at Gen Con, have been printed. And we are so excited to be able to get those out to the recipients from the 2020 Squirrely Awards. That's right. Go check them out. Well, don't go check out the Squirrely Awards. Go check out thebrokentoken.com for all your insert needs. Five-minute initiative begins in three, two, one. A couple years ago, Empires of the North from Portal Games came out, and I just absolutely love that game. It's kind of an extension of Imperial Settlers. It's in the same universe. And since then, Portal Games has been releasing brand new expansions, and one just came out that we got to play called Barbarians. And in this one, there are two brand new Barbarian factions. I played one. Tony played one. We're going to tell you about it. But if you don't know much about Empires of the North, then go check out episode 176 where we do a full review. And Tony, Barbarians, you had a totally different playing clan than what I did, but both I thought were pretty cool. Yeah. So for my clan, my Barbarians were all about ambushing, which I kept saying raiding, which you kept correcting because raiding is a different term for this. My guys, the whole purpose of them was to ambush other tribes, other clans, and put tokens on their cards so that whenever they use those cards, it would give me the opportunity to collect a resource of my choice from their, not from their supply, but from the supply, as long as it was in their resource supply. I said that so poorly, so I'm going to kick it over to Marty and then I'll come back to me. <laughs> and mine was all about it adds rafts. You know, one of the things you can do in this game is you can go sailing. You can go to near islands. You can go to distant islands. You can either pillage or conquer. And with these, you get, get these raft tokens that you can go out, but they're only for using pillaging local islands. And pillaging is how you get additional resources. So one of their main mechanics was taking a sail action putting out a raft to be able to get supplies, but there were also cards specific to this clan that allowed you to take additional sell actions and get more raft tokens. And actually some of the raft tokens were used to pay for resources too, to activate other cards. So Tony, now can you explain ambush a little bit better? No, I probably can't, <laughs> but I will say this. It was a simple concept. Basically mm-hmm. I'm putting a token in another clan. And if they were to use that card, that action card, I would be able to collect a resource from the supply that equal to, or that was part of a, their supply. (laughs) I still got it wrong. You still got it wrong. And then once you did that, the ambush token went away. But what I liked about yours, Tony, was that uh, there was one card that you had, you tried to get out as many ambush tokens as you could, because then you collected victory points based on the number of ambush tokens that were out there. Absolutely. I would send my guy back out, spend a meeple, 
rotate that for every ambush token I had out there, I would get victory points. And that's how I would generate them. So that was a timing thing for me. I needed to get ambush tokens out, activate that card, reset that card, which I had that ability and do it again. That's how I would be generating the victory points. But you fools kept <laughs> getting rid of my ambush tokens because that was a good thing because then I would get a resource. So it was it was a definite push-pull mechanism there for me. Well, yeah, I would rather you have a free resource than victory points. So as soon mm -hmm. as you threw an ambush token on one of my cards, and you were smart, you were like, man, okay, that card I bet he's going to use. I'm going to put an ambush token on there. Well, you're right. I am going to use it. It's just going to make me use it earlier so that you don't get to collect the points. Now, one of the things about this, and we've talked about this before, Tony, when you play Imperial Sellers, when you play Empires of the North, one of the drawbacks is you really need to know the other factions because you had to determine what card to put the ambush token on some of them made more sense than others because you wanted to make sure that it was used but yours you were over there doing these raft things and i completely lost track of what you were doing yeah. you were just throwing these rafts out there, these ships out there you were you had a settlement of over 500 cards it looked like i didn't know what to do well yeah one of my things was i was having a tough time generating victory points so i was trying to basically conquer as many islands as i could get as many land cards out there as I could because each one of those is going to create a victory point at the end. Mine didn't have a lot of player interaction. Yours did. But of all the expansions so far, Tony, I think the Barbarians is one of the easiest to kind of figure out how to play. And it's actually one of my favorite of the recent ones that's been released. I enjoyed the Barbarians. I really did. I'd like to play the one I did again, just so I can learn the nuances. Because one of the things that happened to me is three of the cards, and this is one of the things about uh, Empires, is that they came out at the end. And that did mm. not get me my ambush tokens out. I needed to cycle through those cards quicker. And that was a, a, my mistake. Not knowing what was in there, so I needed to make sure I understood what cards were in that deck. I still love Empires of the North. I always compare 51st State, Empires of the North, Imperial Sellers. Empires of the North may be moving up to my number one. I just think it's so much fun to play. Barbarians adds a whole new element to it. You've got all these different expansions. More is going to be coming out. I still love it. I still enjoy it. We even got to play with the long card, the RDTM promo card. I got to use it one time and never saw it come back into my uh, settlement again. And it's still available right now over at podpledge.com if you want to order one. So again, that's the expansion to Empires of the North, Barbarians, out now from Portal Games. Five-minute initiative is complete. For those of you who have been listening to Rolling Dice and Taking Names a long time, congratulations, sympathies, whatever. Let me <laughs> condolences. <laughs> condolences. We just want to, you know, that every year we like to go over to the Toy Hall of Fame finalist and look through those. This is the Strong National Museum of Play, and they always do the Toy Hall of Fame. And you can go over to toyhalloffame.org and take a look at these. Uh, this is our childhood right here. That's what's sad, Marty. This is Hall of Fame, which means we're old enough where toys are going into Hall of Fame that we played with. And this year, we've had some interesting finalists, in my opinion. Yes, I agree. And what we're going to do is we're just going to go through each one of them real quick, tell you what they are, and then Tony and I will pick the three that we think will win at the end. We always do our predictions, and then when they come out, we'll see how close we were. 
So first we have Baby Nancy in 1968. This was a doll that was produced. This was an interesting one, Marty. This was a doll that was produced to reflect black pride, black talent, and most of all, black enterprise. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so this was right at the height of the civil rights movement in the 60s. And uh, so this toy company came out and uh, started making uh, black baby dolls because uh, everybody everything was just white right now. And it was a huge hit. Uh, mm -hmm. because, you know, finally there was the baby doll that, uh, you know, a lot of, of the population could finally relate to and everything like that. It was a big, bold move, you know, you know, during this time, you know, you had the Star Trek, you had the first biracial kiss and everything like that. So there was a lot of first during this time. And so uh, obviously this deserves to be a, a finalist for sure. Definitely a finalist. And so I was just like, oh man, check that out. That's, that's a lot of interesting history behind that. I don't remember it though. Um, again, this was before our time, so... We didn't play with baby dolls. Do you count G.I. Joe as baby dolls? I guess not. They're not babies, no. but they're dolls. They're, they're action, action figures. figures. <laughs> That's right. Next on the list, there was a game from 1530. I didn't realize that Bingo was that old, but Bingo was up for a nomination, and <laughs> I like how uh, the game has become a staple of adult play and fundraisers for churches and charity organizations. So it's a lot of senior citizens sitting around going, you know, B6... Bingo! I used to have a bingo cage because we'd have to take it to the school all the time and you spend a little fancy. Boss. I know we were fancy. Then came the Briar Horses. When I first read this, I was thinking Briar Ice Creams. But no, Briar Horses. This was a 1950 company, the Briar Molding Company. They came out with horses that captured the spirit of the horses. You still see these in stores, Marty. Yep. Still see these. I mean, when you're watching TV, you'll see them sitting on bookcases periodically. It's, it's just unreal. These horses are everywhere. I never had one of these, but I did have a horse for my Johnny West doll. Next up is Jinga, Jinga, Jinga. Remember that commercial? Unfortunately, now that you said that, yes. <laughs> Obviously, the very popular, I guess it's kind of a little party game. You know, we got the, the stacks of blocks on each other. You got to pull one out. And if the building topples, you lose. Extremely popular game. A lot of these are like, how has this not been nominated before? And I don't know, Tony... If it's nominated once and doesn't win, does it ever get to be nominated again? Or is that pretty much it? Have you, you um, I have no clue. Thanks for your help. Yeah, I'm, well, you know, what do I expect? I'm not on the strong. I'm not part of the, they've yet to come back to us, even though we do this every year and say, hey, would you guys like to be on the um, nomination committee? I think they're they're missing a good opportunity there. So next comes Light Bright from 1966. Nothing like pushing in a peg and burning your hand on the back as you try to keep the thing from not sliding. I loved Light Bright. I never had one. What? Oh, I loved it. I loved it. my dad and my parents would go out and buy me little refills for it. And you put the little paper back there. It's like, whoa, this is going to be a pumpkin. <laughs> you know, start pushing in the peg. I, I loved Light Bright. Came out in 66. Wow. Well, it was really big in the 70s. Now in the 80s, Tony, Master of the Universe toys. And this was really interesting in that, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen the toys that made us. The episode on Masters of the Universe is just a very fascinating tale. So uh, this was the new line of toys that came out from Mattel. And uh, it was like, hey, we got these toys. How are we going to sell it? Let's let's do it through some comic books and television shows. And it uh, worked because uh, Masters of the Universe is kind of comes and goes. It was like it went away, came back, went away, came back. Did you ever have Masters of the Universe toys? Or is that probably a little too late for you? I never had Masters of the Universe toys. You watched the cartoon though, didn't you? No. Really? I never watched it. No, not from 83 to 85. No, I was in high school. Okay. Wow. I actually watched it. I, no, I never watched He-Man. Just something. 
there was just something about that that just I don't know. I didn't I didn't like that cartoon very much. So I, I like didn't Skeletor. Watch it. If you listen to you know the podcast, the Business Wars podcast that I listen to, they talk about the battle that Mattel and Hasbro had over the years. Now, is that the only episode you've ever listened to? Because anytime we talk about you talk about that podcast, it's always that episode. Well, it's the one I remember the most because it was the most interesting. You know, I listened to the one about WWE versus uh, the other big wrestlers, and I've listened to a bunch of them, but this one always keeps coming back because we always talk about toys. Okay, that's fair. But this toy, which spawned a great RPG that I hope to play someday, is My Little Pony. My Little Pony, My Little Pony. Well, we've played the card game and talked about it on the show. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And my uh, sister, so this was high time for my sister who was 10 years younger than me. She loved My Little Pony. She had like My Little Pony toys all over the place. I guess it's still big now. Uh, yeah, it's it's come back. I mean, the commercials. I mean, if you can outsell Barbie, that's something. Yeah. When it was was out and then it has made a resurgence. I mean, my little pony, it's all about happiness. And we do need to play that RPG sometime, for sure. Yes, we There's do. one one shot we need to play, right? We need to make that happen. Yes, we do. Boy, one of the most irritating board games of all time for me, Tony, is Risk. Oh, I do not like this game. Is the reason you don't like this game is because it's area control, or is it because the stupid dice would just not ever roll your way? No, because it took forever. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, okay. So that's what started this whole thing. Mm-hmm. Getting in a bad risk game when I was 12 years old started the whole grumpy attitude of let's get this thing played. Let's move on. <laughs> you know, thinking back, Risk was probably one of the first games I ever played and thought, I will never play this game again. It was oh, just wow. so bad. Oh, I, and the game wasn't bad. It was the uh, it was what the experience. Yeah, this game came out in 1959, but it really blew up in the 70s. And actually, here in the little blurb about it, it says the game's innovative mechanics ignited ignited renewed interest in strategy games in the 70s, and continues to influence the board game industry, which is 100 true. Because on our next segment, we're going to talk about a game that kind of has a risk feel to it. Absolutely, sidewalk chalk. I don't understand this one. I have an issue with this one. It's Why? chalk. Just because you put sidewalk in front of it, I don't like. This is like stick. It was something that led to happiness for kids. It's a toy. I mean, chalk, chalk is something you can, yes, you write on a blackboard. But here, they took something that was educational and moved it to the sidewalk. It became a toy. How is this any different than a light bright? Because... Somebody just says, hey, I'm going to take chalk and draw on the sidewalk. It's like, okay, that's a toy. Light Bright was made specifically to be a toy. It does the same thing. You're being creative. You're, you've got a, a blank canvas in front of you. All you're doing is pushing in peg. Here, you're on your hands and knees. Is a pencil a toy? When I'm playing um, the game where All I right, would see, that's sit there. Point. I can make anything a toy. That's what I'm kind of getting to. I can make this microphone a toy if I want to. You could, but it wouldn't be right. <laughs> <laughs> that wouldn't be right. Oh, okay. We're going to move on from that one because I'm going to tell you right now, I'm not picking that as one of my nominations. I'm probably not going to pick this next one either, but it's probably going to win. Sorry. I, I did not like this game either. <laughs> Jeez. So this game has a lot of memories in the McCree household of my daughter. It's always saying, sorry, daddy, and taking me home with, uh, not home, back to start and having to play it. We wore out, sorry, wore that game out. She loved playing this game. It deserves to be nominated 100%. It was just, it was one of those family games growing up. I just never cared for. 
Now, speaking of not caring for something, no, I never got Tamagotchis. Oh, yeah. My gosh, I remember those being so huge in the 90s. Holy crap, in the 90s, early 2000s, every kid was walking around with a Tamagotchi. It was like like the biggest deal, a digital pet, basically. But think about what it was teaching them. You had to raise them from a child to an adult, right, Mm -hmm. with care, affection, and attention by pressing a bunch of buttons. I mean, how else would you learn about parenting? I've got respect for what it did. It was just really interesting that uh, this took off. I'm kind of surprised that it did take off sort of deal. Because of that, it's like, oh, I've got got to raise this thing. I got to take care of it. I look at it as early texting. Bunch of kids walking around with their heads down, looking at their Tamagotchis, pressing buttons. And nothing wrong with it. It was brilliant. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Oh, yeah. Pokemon. We would have, when they introduced the eggs. Oh, yeah. That's right. Well, yeah. Pokemon tried to kind of get in on this action, too, of raising the Pokemon through the eggs, right? Absolutely. And so you had to, you know, uh, after your person took so many steps, the egg would hatch Mm -hmm. as long as you were carrying it. Yep. It's the same principle. No, you're right. And then the last one on the list is Yahtzee. I'm kind of surprised this hasn't been nominated for now. And I'm surprised at this, that the Hasbro is estimated that 100 million play Yahtzee today on a regular basis. How many people are in old folks' homes? (laughs) (laughs) This isn't hard. Bingo, baby. That and bingo. So there are your 12 nominations. So here we go. One at a time. We're going to, to throw out one. And Tony, I'm going, to, I'm going to go first of what I think is going to make the final on this list. I'm scrolling through right now because I was, I was going to see if I was going to change my mind as I did this. Just knowing what they've done in the past, they really don't pick a lot of generic things. From what I remember, Sidewalk Chalk is kind of generic. The, the Briar Horse, I think, is somewhat generic. I think Bingo's been around too long. I'm actually going to go with Light Bright. I think Lightbright is one of those things that came out and it was big and then kind of and never went away. Some of these were big and kind of went away. Lightbright's still around. I've seen a new version today. Uh, it doesn't use a light bulb anymore. You know, it uh, just uses like LEDs and stuff like that. Or it's, it's electronic where you can press it and the colors change and everything like that. So my first pick, Lightbright. All right. So I think one of the winners is definitely going to be Baby Nancy. I agree. I'm, that's going to be one of mine. I think that's one of those that had a big social impact and everything like that. And the, because I think it's going, I think it broke the mold, kind of started something. And I agree with you there. So that would be like your number, another one of yours. So another one of mine would be Yahtzee. Really? Mm-hmm. It was huge in my house. I mean, growing up, it was, we would, we'd have dinner and, and clear the dishes. And then we would all sit around and play Yahtzee. My mom and dad would play Yahtzee. I remember years they kept and would play Yahtzee. I can, I can see that. I'm, I was torn, but I'm going to let you have Yahtzee. Then what I'm going to do is, is my other one. I think it's going to be Risk. I think Risk is one of those that did ignite the strategy board games and that a lot of games have been inspired and influenced by that game still to this day. So Risk will be my last pick. Okay. And my last pick is going to be My Little Pony just due to the resurgence, the constant wave. Yeah, I don't think that's a bad pick either. So now we just need to... So what's going to happen is I need to write these down somewhere. Otherwise, after the winners, we're going to be coming back and listen to this segment. Now, who do we pick again? So there you go. There there are the, uh, the finalists for the Toy Hall of Fame. Tony's nice pick. Later on this fall, when the winners come out, we'll revisit and see how close we got. But what do y'all think? Before the winners are announced, come let us know in our BGG Guild or our Facebook page or just message us on Twitter. Of those 12, 
What three do you think will win this year? Well, you know there's going to be a poll on this in the Guild. There you go. So go over to the Guild, check it out, and uh, Tony will set it up to where maybe you can select three options. If I feel like it, I may not. I may get, I'll get one. It's my poll. I can pick however I want to run a poll. People always come back, you need those more options. No, I don't. It's my poll. Tony, did you know that PortalGamesUS.com is having a big sale right now? I didn't know until I went over there and looked. Check this out, man. You know that those two books that board games tell stories that Ignacy wrote? They're regularly 25 bucks. Only 10 bucks, dude. 10 bucks for books? Are you kidding me? <laughs> I am not kidding you. There's tons of promo cards that's out here on sale, like 50% also. If you have a Robinson Crusoe, there's a bunch of extra event cards, a bunch of extra scenarios that are dirt cheap. You can get Imperial Settlers rolling right for $6 off right now. How about Detective LA Crimes? $10 off from $30 down to $20. Robinson Crusoe Mystery Tales, which we've talked about on this show, from $50 down to $35. Here's the one, people. Monolith Arena needs more love. It's only $35 right now on PortalGamesUS.com. And also, if you want to, you can pre-order the new Robinson Crusoe Treasure Chest pre-order with free deluxe components, 40 bucks. Go check out all the information on that. Again, over at PortalGamesUS.com. Speaking of games that uh, may be influenced by risk, Tony and I got to play a classic game. Classic in the sense that it's 13 years old from 2007. Tammany Hall, which is just now re-released from Pandasaurus Games. This game is designed by Doug Eckert, plays three to five players in 90 minutes. And this is, to me, a classic area control game that takes place in the mid-1800s in New York. As immigrants are coming into the districts of New York and basically the politicians are out there trying to win over districts and, and get the votes of the immigrants there. So Marty, is this one of those things where we don't have to say how you win because we've already stated it earlier in the episode that... Yes, that is 100% correct, my friend. All right. So put it back on the table. I want to do this again. Let's play again. You like this, huh? I enjoyed for the simplicity that it was. I agree. So you play over four terms and each term is broken up into four years. And basically at the end of each fourth year, you have an election where you're basically going to go and then resolve each of the districts, see who has won that district. But Tony, I just love the simplicity of the actions that you take. Uh, on your turn, you can take uh, two of your uh, meeples and you can put them out into two different districts on the board. Or you can place one of your meeples and then take any of the immigrant tokens from the supply and place it in any one of the districts. Those two little simple things are very straightforward, but what you do with those two little actions heavily influence who's going to win that game. But after the first term, there's you know 12 terms uh, in this game for 12 rounds. In the second term, special actions come into play that you can also use um, based on the politician, the mayor. All he gets is three victory points and he's done. Then you have the uh, chief of police and you have the councilman. And uh, these all have very special actions for anyone who's not played Tammany Hall. Go check them out. And one thing about this game, Marty, that we didn't experience because I think with only three people, it didn't really come into play was the 
social interaction, the mm-hmm. trying to convince someone not to do something like, hey, I'm going to let you be the police of chief next uh, year as long as you don't, oh, I don't know, move remove these cubes from this area or put a ward boss down in my area because I want to win this. I want to be in area control. We really didn't play it that way. We were pretty much straight up area control and manipulating the board. Yeah. Everybody said this is such a mean game. Get ready. You're going to hate your friends and stuff like that. But we didn't make any of those deals. So there was no backstabbing. And probably people are like, well, then you didn't really experience Tammany Hall. And I get that. And we, like you said, Tony, if we play with four or five players, there are probably more of that going on. But to be honest with you, me and Bert, we're really not those kind of players anyway. I'm not... Mm. I'm not into making deals that somebody can just backstab me on. It's like, I just rather not make the deal. I'll just Mm kind of go solo and do my own thing. And all of us were kind of that way. But if we had, you know, our our good friends, Mark and Nate involved, for sure, those are the types of guys that would get into making the deals and backstabbing and stuff like that too. Oh, definitely Nate. Nate would be all about, well, if you let me, he would know which power he wants to have for the next round because he would be thinking three steps ahead of all of us and sitting there thinking, if I get this power, I'll be able to shift the district, the, the population of the color cubes around, which will help me better understand it. And that is what wants, why I want to put this back on the table so I can better understand the voting, the voting principle at the end of everybody doing their action. I love this part. So, you know, I said there was two actions you can do. You could put down two bosses or put down a boss and, and get an immigrant cube. And there was four different types of immigrants. There was English, Italian, German, and Irish. And when you put down one of those cubes, you also get an influence token of that color. And this is, these influence tokens is open knowledge, right? So everybody sees... Who's been collecting influence? Tony, maybe you've been collecting a lot of influence of the Irish, which are the green ones. And maybe, you know, Bert's been collecting a lot of the the influence of the British. And that's extremely important because every fourth year, you're going to resolve each district and who's going to win that district. And whoever has their meeples in there can then pick up any influence they tokens that they have of immigrant cubes that are already in there. So if there's green and, and white and you have, you can only use the green and white influence tokens. If there's no blue in there, you can't use your blue ones. And everybody sees, okay, he's got a total of, let's say seven or eight. Close your fist and everybody secretly bids. And then you add up all of your bosses in that district plus the number of influence tokens you put in and see who's going to win. And whoever wins basically kicks out the other bosses and basically, you're going to win that district, which is going to get you a point at the very end of the round. Yeah. So, so the election resolves. You you get the your points that you need, and you're trying to. There's just a lot to comprehend what's going on. You get the points that oh, you yeah, need to win the game, and you're like, "Oh, I'm doing really well." I mean, just a lot's going on, Marty. And I'm I'm sitting there at first when we were playing. I'm like, "There's nothing to this." I was like, where's the AP? I hear about AP in this game too. Well, I started getting some AP as that board got more cubes. And I think that's what's interesting about this. When the game first starts with three players, there's only a uh, section one district area that you're even going to be worried about. And the next term, after, you know, after four uh, rounds, after four years, the next term, then another area of the board opens up for you to be able to use and start influencing that. Well, by that third term, when everything's open up, 
then you're right, man. You you can get some AP because you're looking all over the place going, well, how can I win? How can I win that that particular district up there? And I'm looking over at your supply. And it's like, well, Tony has a lot of those influence tokens. So I know if he goes in there, he could probably beat me. Let me see what I can do. If I go over here, I think I can. And that, you know, you're just constantly doing. But everybody's doing that, right? Even though it's a simple action of either putting out two bosses. Let me clarify something earlier. You only pull immigration uh, cubes from or immigrant cubes from the castle garden, which is a spot on the board at the beginning of each round. You're going to pull out of the bag a number of cubes equal to the number of players plus two. Those are the only cubes that'll be going onto the board, which I thought was important too. And those don't refill until at the beginning of the year, if that is empty or at the end of a voting year when they clear and then some new ones come out anyway. Yeah. If, if it's empty and it's the person's next turn, then yes, they get the cubes come back out. Yes, that, that that's right. So there's always going to be cubes available to somebody, but when there's only one cube left, that's the only option you have if you want to take that as your action in order to put a cube and get an influence token of that type. When you have political influence, you're you're talking about the favors. If you have the most Irish delegates, then you will get additional favors for that area. So that's where all mm-hmm. that comes together. You're you're having to manipulate you're having to manipulate those cubes and you're like, okay, where do I put this? I, oh, if I can move some of these people out of this neighborhood, I need to relocate the the Germans from this area, then I can hurt his ability to gain favor in that. And meanwhile, you're doing that. He may be putting some back in there. And so, oh yeah, I was, that's what kept throwing me off. And then this slander. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Slander is so brutal, man. So basically with the, everybody gets two slander tokens, right? No, they get three. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I said it right. Yeah. I gave out two and it was three. Everybody gets three slander tokens and on their turn, uh, you can go to an area and uh, say, I'm going to slander you. Let's say that you're in the same ward. I've been using the, in the rules, it's called ward. I've been using the term district, but I'll use it ward from now on uh, in the same ward. And basically I can say, Hey, you can't trust this guy over here, basically slander you and kick you out of that ward for the cost of uh, playing one influence token of an immigrant that's already in there. But mm-hmm. if you happen to be also, there's an adjacent ward that you and I are in, I can pay another two influence tokens of the same type if that immigrant cube's in there and kick you out of that one too. Yes. And that completely changes the dynamic, especially if you had already taken the last term and you're like, oh man. Being last, I thought found was huge for those slander tokens because then I knew exactly I was going to be able to control the board and maybe control certain districts that I wanted to make sure I, I had. So it's that constant give and take in the balance of making sure that you have the, the favor, you have the political clout in the districts that you're going to win, that you're going to be able to carry the votes forward, and that you will not be slandered by someone so that you can then get the victory points that allow you to win the game. And when we were playing this game, you know, I I thought I was doing very well until the last turn and Marty had all this favor. And at the end you get additional victory points and he just blew past me. I was like, this really stuck. <laughs> well, here's what it did. Uh, the reason why uh, in the past, in the third term, I purposely did not try to win as many wards as I thought I could. I wanted to save them up for the last one. And also I wanted to go last. I knew that if I, as long as I wasn't mayor, 
uh, then I was going to, and because of the order, I thought who was going to win. I thought I was going to be able to go last and that worked. And we kind of, you went over the whole marathon and giving out roles. But to me, that was one of the most important aspects of the game because each of those roles that are given out are very powerful. Sure, if you're mayor, you get three points, but sometimes you'd rather have one of those other roles of like getting rid of immigration cubes out of a, of a ward or shifting cubes between wards or the one that was only used once because there's five roles and you don't have to give out every role every, every time. Locking down a ward, dude, when you gave me that one, I locked down two wards and one of the wards on the board gives two points instead of one. If you win that ward, I locked it down. And then the first four wards on the board give you a bonus action where if you win that ward, you get to place a cube out somewhere on the board. And in uh, wards three and four, if you won those, you get to grab an additional influence token. And that could be used in, in later elections too. I love that. It's a catch-up mechanic. Basically, it's like, yeah, I won this round. But I'm going to give you guys special powers that you'll be able to use against me and possibly catch up. And it did. We saw that whoever was mayor, the other two made a mad dash towards the leader again with those special powers. So I was thinking about this. If you're the mayor, you can control who has those special powers. So that's actually an additional power of the mayor. Oh, 100%. And that's why after you gave me that lockdown role of being able to lock down two wards, that role was never used again because in a three-player game it was just too powerful interesting is in a five-player game somebody's going to get that one though yeah they're going to get it they're going to use it but you would probably figure out okay i can give it to the person whose father's in the back sure and, yeah and lockdowns basically nothing can be added or removed from that ward for the rest of that round basically is what that is so that's why that one was so important i am not a big area control fan i've said it many times on this show that's probably my least favorite genre but after small world of warcraft And this one, I'm really starting to appreciate the kind of fun you can have with this type of game. And I think the simplicity of this game is what made it. Again, simple rules. There's only two things, you two actions you can do on your turn. But towards the end of the game, it gets super thinky of what you want to do with those two actions. Did it stay on the table too long for you? Nope. Nope. Not at all, because I think it flew. Yeah, it, it moved very quick. It did move very quick. But for three player, now five player, I can see where I would be pacing and looking at board game shelves. Well, I think four player is probably a sweet spot personally. I think the four player thing gets more roles on the board and there might be some more negotiations uh, that's important too. I think another important aspect of this game that we didn't hit on is the board is basically a map and the map shows you how elections will be resolved with arrows. And it's the same way every time. And that's important, Tony, yes. because many times you, I would, I would look at the board. It's like, well, if I lose this ward here, then I can save influence for that ward that's coming up that I think may be more important to me. That little thing was also important too. Yes. I mean, where are you going to get your foothold? Knowing how it is like, oh, you're going to have to hold on to some of your green favor in order to battle in the future um, elections. And again, it's all open knowledge, which I like too. You you know, your influence tokens are not hidden behind the screen. I know exactly how many green, blue, et cetera, you got. And I can look down the map and go, I know I could probably take that one from Tony. Oh, I'm probably going to lose that one to Burt sort of deal and kind of plan ahead. 
Dude, I dug it. Tammany Hall, classic game. I wish I had played it sooner than what I did. Came out in 2007. I'm glad this was re-released by Pandasaurus. By the way, the components are amazing. I believe with one of the original games, it looks like they had stickers uh, on the influence disc, and it looks like you have probably had to put little stickers on them here. Everything is screen printed uh, directly onto the tokens. They look nice. The map looks nice. They've kind of, at the bottom, it lays out exactly what happens every single round. It shows how you get your points based on one point per district, except for one special district, which gives you two, which is where Tammany Hall is. And then, like you said, every person who controls a district count up the number of green cubes they have in there that whoever has the most is going to get bonus influence tokens for that and you go through each uh one of the nationalities and do that it's a tight game i i I liked it i'm making a space now on my game shelves for these types of area control games five minute initiative begins in three two one. In this solo version of 5-Minute Initiative, I want to talk about Warp's Edge. This is a brand new solo game from Renegade Games and is part of their solo he- hero series. This is the second in the series. Last year, there was Proving Grounds. And this game from Scott Alms, who you may know from Tiny Epic Games, has come out with a game where you're controlling a spaceship in order to try to defeat a mothership. At its core, this is a bag building game where you're gonna be drawing tokens out of a bag and applying the effects of those tokens to the board. And again, with the goal of trying to defeat the mothership. The game starts with seeding the bag with 10 tokens. There's three different types of tokens. There's energy, which you can use to buy additional tokens or fix your shields. There's maneuver tokens, which you can use to evade enemies. And there's laser tokens, which you can use to destroy enemies. Beginning of the turn, you're going to draw aliens from a deck. The alien deck is seated, dependent upon the type of mothership you're going to be going against. As there's multiple motherships in the games you can choose to fight against, going from easy to more difficult. You're going to draw five tokens from the bag and start using them. Now, what's really cool is, is for every ship that you apply a token to, whether it be evade or a laser token, you will stun that ship for that round which means it will not deal any damage back to you which is really important and there's two ways that you can get rid of one of those alien ships you can either fully destroy it or fully evade it and there's different values for each ship some are easier to evade some are easier to destroy with lasers but regardless you can do it either way and once you get a certain set number of tokens to the evade or to the destroy side the ship will go away and you will get some sort of bonus which is typically adding tokens to your bag which is very important because you want to be able to keep a lot of tokens in your bag to keep the mothership from warping because if you ever have to go to your bag and draw five at the end of your turn and there's not five in there that mothership is going to warp and each mothership after about four or five warps will sit signal the end of the game and if you haven't destroyed the mothership by then well then that's it once you've got all your tokens in your pool applied whether it be again buying more tokens fixing shields evading destroying etc then it's time for the aliens to attack whichever ships you have not stunned including the mothership is going to deal damage back to you for every damage that you take you're going to first start taking out levels of your shield for every shield damage that you take you also have to remove from play one of the tokens from your discard pile and that's bad remember when i said you need to keep all the tokens that you can well that's bad that's when we're going to try to stun as many things as possible then at the end of that you're going to go to the bag draw five more and if you can you just continue. But what's cool is, is those tokens you applied in the previous round just move to the top of the card. They're no longer stunned, 
but it applies towards the total needed to either destroy the ship or evade the ship. Once it is destroyed, there will be a new card that comes into play. Again, you've got these constant alien ships coming out that you got to deal with. But remember, your goal is the mothership. And a mothership may have three sections you have to get rid of. It may have one where it takes like six maneuver to destroy and then seven damage in order to destroy this section. And each time you destroy a section, you put a token on it and then that section is no longer active. Some of these sections have abilities that are really hurtful to you. So you may want to focus on that section first. I've really found myself doing a lot of strategizing while playing this game. Just looking at those five tokens, like, well, what's, what's the best way I can do this? And, and because it's deterministic, I know what's left in the bag. I know what I've bought. Then I want to be able to plan around that. And what's cool is too, is for every ship that you use, you have different what's called power tokens. They spell P-O-W-E-R. You get one token of each of those letters and each of those do some sort of special ability. And again, that depends on the ship that you actually use because you have multiple ships to choose from. So again, that's just, again, part of the strategy. I may use energy tokens to buy some of those power tokens to put them in my bag because they can do something really cool. I really enjoyed my time playing with this. I don't really get into a lot of solo games, but this one, I just found myself spending, you know, 20, 25 minutes trying to go through it, struggle with it. And it's just, it's a tough game. I've only won once. And every other time I've played, I've gotten close, but I just couldn't pull it out. I really like these solo series games from uh, Renegade. Like I said, played Proving Ground last year. I enjoyed it. It's a dice rolling game. The thing I like about this one is because it is bag building. I know exactly what's in the bag. I know exactly what I'm going to pull. So I just felt like I had more control over the entire situation. I also love the theme of this one. It's almost like you're playing Galaxian or something like that. And there's a really cool storybook that comes with it where if you want to, you can read through the storybook and it's like a choose your own adventure. And what it does is by the time you get to the end of the story, it's told you, well, here's the mothership you're going to be going against. Here's the ship that you have and maybe a skill card that you got because you also have skill cards that come out during the game. The beginning of each round, you're going to draw two skill cards, pick one, put it into play. Tip to activate him it cost a token or two and once you do you get some sort of special ability so every round you get additional skill cards so much of this game i like it a lot warps edge by scott Ohms plays one-to-one -one players and it'll be coming out very soon from renegade five minute initiative is complete Before we get out of here, this is actually going to be our last episode of, you're hoping we're saying of all time. I know that, but it's just of September, okay? I was. <laughs> you were like, yes, it's finally over. <laughs> He's done editing. He's tired of it. He's throwing in the towel. I, it's over. I mean, I move upstairs. I get things set up, sort of, kind of. I'm looking at possibly buying an arm for my mic, and he's going to say, no more. There is no more rolling dice. I was going to go, Greg, let's no longer take some names. <laughs> Last episode of September. So we got a couple episodes coming up in October, and I love the October episodes because we're always going to have some special Halloween episodes. Vanessa wanted to really try Betrayal at House on the Hill and uh, because she loved the Scooby-Doo version of that. So we got the base game. We're going to be trying it out and talking about it. We got some, hopefully, the Arkham Horror expansions to talk about and everything. But there's also something else special we want to do in October. Uh, we started a Discord channel a couple months ago. We've been kind of down the down low about it because we just wanted to see, is this a platform that we want to use and everything? 
And come to find out, I think we get more talk and more interactions on Discord than actually any other place. We still will talk in our Slack channel for our uh, supporters over there. Tony still posts things on BGG. Nothing will be ignored. It's just Discord channel is so popular now because a lot of people are, and a lot of companies are using it. So what we want to do is we want to kind of grow it a little bit. And we're going to be having a special promotion for the month of October. If you're a member of our Discord channel, we can put a link in the show notes and I'll post it every once in a while on Twitter. Once a week, I'm going to randomly draw one member from our Discord channel to win a $10 gift certificate from Miniature Market. That means for the four weeks of October, four winners. And if you happen to be a Pod Pledge supporter and you're in our Discord channel, make sure to let me know because you have a special yellow name that will give to you plus a special channel to talk. If you happen to be one of those winners that are drawn, we're going to give you an extra $5 because you are a financial backer of the show. And so if you want to go to podpledge.com and you can support us there again, let us know that you've done that. So I can make sure to get you your tag. And then for a big grand price, Tony, I've got a big box over here, an empty box. And we've got some games that we've played. We've got some stuff still in shrink that uh, I don't know what they're going to be, but we're going to just ship out a mystery box of games to somebody in the U.S. randomly picked from the Discord channel. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Works for me, man. You know, hey, the box is in your house. I thought we were going to send an empty box to them, and that would save on shipping. But no, you're going to put stuff in it. So there, you know, there's that going on. Then you're going to give out all this money for people using Discord, which, you know, I don't really jump on. I will try to get over there every once in a while. It's just not a channel that I um, deal with because if I'm at work, I can't get on it. Yada, yada, yada. So enjoy your Discord. And also Discord confuses me. I'm sorry. I'm Why is that? It's, I think it's something about I don't like things not being read. So when I go into Discord and I'm a member of the like the Tantrum House Discord or the Mega Moose Con Discord or all these other ones, and I got all these little tags of saying I haven't read messages. That f- frustrates me. Mm. You know? I like it where because I, I want that to be clear and clean. And so I'm getting over there trying to read all these things and I just go, I'm out of there. Dude, you want me to tell you a little secret? Yeah, sure. Uh, mouse over the icon that has stuff that says not read, right click and just do mark as read. What? But then that'll clear um, the Rolling Dice channel. No, no. Each individual channel you can mark as red. So if I go to Mega MooseCon. Yep. And I do what? Right click on the channel. Right click on the channel. Yeah. And it should have option mark as red at the top. What does mute channel do for me? Uh, Basically keeps you from seeing any notifications. Oh, there's my new best friend. (laughs) I knew it. I was going to say, here's the uh, one option he's really going to like. Oh, yes. Uh, mute mute these bad boys. Make it not happen. <laughs> I won't hear from these people. Oh, I'm just I'm just having fun. It's another platform, something new that will last for, what, a year? Yeah, who knows? I mean, Discord's been around for a while, and it is a, a lot. A lot of companies now have Discord channels. A lot of games have this. It's it's kind of an easy way, you know, to have one platform. You can, you can do, you know, a lot of games are or publishers are streaming games like demos directly from the Discord channel now. Um, so people are getting together and playing games online through the Discord channel. You know, we got a voice chat. I played Similo the other day. 
got some people on to play a digital version of a Similo, which is now out from Horrible Games on Steam. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll do that again sometime. So again, all you got to do is just join our Discord channel. Once a week, I'm going to randomly pick somebody. They're going to get a $10 gift card to Miniature Market. Uh, if you happen to be a supporter, you're getting $15 instead. At the very end, we're going to randomly pick somebody. I want to ship out a big box of games. I don't know what's going to go in there. There may be some games, maybe some other stuff, but you're going to get something. And I'll just randomly pick somebody. It has to be in the U.S. because it will be extremely expensive to ship outside of the U.S. Uh, we'll, again, we'll have a link to the Discord channel in this blog post for this episode. And every once in a while, I'm just going to post it on Twitter. If you follow us on there at Dyson Names, Instagram at Dyson Names, Facebook, Dyson Names. And now I don't know what I'm going to do for my little intro uh, once we say goodbye. Uh, you know what? I just tuned you out because you started sounding like the guy at the end of a car commercial that says, you know, the the disclaimer at the bottom that they quickly read. Mm-hmm. That's what it just sounded like to me. I'm trying to practice and get that job. So that sounds exciting, Marty. I can't wait to get over to Discord and participate. Are member or employees of RDTN eligible for this? Uh, no, you're not. Okay, I'm not. Well, until we make it to Ice Cream Social, keep rolling dice and taking names. Yeah, so I, I've already kind of gone over the uh, boilerplate stuff. So, um, so he's done. He's covered. We've said it. He's got. If you're not part of the guild. Go over there and do it so you can stop talking about it. If you're not following us on Twitter, don't worry about it. If you're not on IG, Instagram, wow. whatever, just just be done with it, man. They know where to go to find us, okay? It's all over the place. Oh, and we're part of the Amazon podcast now or something. I don't know. He posted that. As we stated at the beginning of the episode, I forgot to press the record when we first started the show and you called our second take of the show. Well, Tony still had his first take, and so I told you how brilliant it was. I'm going to share some of the clips from that and then tell you some of the brilliant responses I had to those. Well, I spent, you know, this afternoon getting the yard mowed and manicured, ready to go. And even after that torrential rain, my yard is still pretty hard, and I just I got to get the aeration ready to go. See, we're going to do a lot of education on seeding and irrigation this fall season. Um, I mean, I was walking around. I know I'm not going to get the good plugs that I need. And then I made one of the funniest statements I've ever made on this show. I mean, we were both just howling. I, I, I just can't remember what it was. So I've got to get the sprinklers up and running, ready to go. And, you know, just trying to get that handled. Okay. Yeah. All right. So a, a little bit more about yard work. You know, so I got to cut short. I got the weed killer down, ready to go. Got to get that done, man, because it, it's gotten cold here. And then even even more comments about... Um, irrigation and seeding there's no way fall starts in september and here i just let tony have it for thinking that fall does not start in september fall starts then oh i'm thinking winter of course then he tries to redeem himself the leaves change that's the big deal and they fall off the tree and then i got to get them up okay after listening to this you know what maybe it was a good thing i didn't hit the record button the first time around Look, we're only three months from Christmas, everybody. And you know you're going to want to buy some board games for your friends, your family. Who knows? Maybe even yourself. And there's a lot of stuff that's going to be coming out towards the end of the year because those publishers want to make sure to have the best games available at this time of the year because that's where they make their money. And one of the best places to go to order those games is over at miniaturemarket.com. Make sure to keep an eye out for like Black Friday sales that you know is going to be coming. They're constantly running sales, special events and stuff on different things. 
And if you order $100 or more that you're going to get free shipping and their shipping is a lot quicker now, stuff is going to start selling out, especially the real popular games. So if you want to get stuff on people's Christmas list or even for yourself, go start throwing stuff in the cart, pre-ordering it, putting it aside to, to have it shipped later because you can have it on hold until you get to a certain time of maybe when you want to get that free shipping. And then you'll log on and say, okay, release all those games to me. I'm ready to get them at my house right now. And you could do all that over at Miniature Market. DramaticPause.com <laughs> The eye roll. <laughs> I was going to say in there, you think that you can make that commercial last any longer? <laughs>